Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This call is being recorded. To accept the call, press three. John Gate. If I found a body in your trunk, do I assume that you kidnapped him, tortured him, raped him, and threw him in the trunk? Welcome to Killer's Vault. I'm Elizabeth Rome. Join Eric Roberts and me as we take you inside the brutal minds of the most prolific serial killers the world has ever known. Through never-before-seen or heard letters and phone calls between Rob Webb and Richie and Barbara Dickstein, these personal accounts of murder and mayhem will be unleashed for the first time as we open the Killer's Vault. Gerard Schaefer, Part 1. A reporter once asked an agent from the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit, in his estimation, who was the worst serial killer he had ever met or studied. The agent didn't hesitate. He said, Gerard John Schaefer was, by far, the most brutal, most sadistic, and the most diabolical and calculating of all organized serial killers. I firmly believe that Gerard Schaefer was the purest form of a living evil entity. His depravity was limitless and he was extremely adept at inflicting prolonged pain through torture that I could only describe as grotesque and inhuman. Though he was only convicted of two murders, I believe he was responsible for between 80 and 140 murders. In this excerpt from a letter dated May 29, 1995, Gerard Schaefer's misogyny limitless depravity and his capacity to inflict barbarous torture and terror is clearly defined this excerpt also reveals schaefer's absolute contempt and hatred for women of all ages there have been a lot of lies printed about me and one of the worst is that i raped girls before hanging them consider that almost all the girls hanged were hookers whore or fuck sluts i paid for the services and I did it for the erotic thrill. I have a 10-inch dick, so the hookers would see my heart on and play up to me on that angle. The hookers would think I was in a role-playing, that it was all just a sex game, a rough sex scenario. This one girl here, she was with her mama, who was a homeless street tramp, dragging a kid around while she did tricks. I tied up the kid and let her watch while I fucked her mama. She'd seen her mama get it before, so, she didn't seem to mind watching. The kid changed her attitude when I pulled that noose around her mama's neck and pulled her up. The kid was frantic then, especially when I fashioned a noose for her scrawny neck. I never roped a kid, so I asked her if she'd like to learn some sex education. I was going to hang her anyway, so if the girl wants to play with my dick, is it wrong to let her play first, then hang her? What do you say? Actually, Girls that age can't take 10 inches in the cut. Best let them suck on it and then run it up their butthole. You'd be amazed how much cock a girl can take up her ass at that age. 
Gerard Schaefer is considered an anomaly, or an outlier amongst a very small group of psychopaths who are considered the most sadistic and pathological. He has been observed, questioned, and probed by some of the world's leading psychiatrists, criminal psychologists, and law enforcement investigators who have all concluded that Gerard Schaefer is the most evil psychopath that they have ever studied. Considering the vast number of serial killers, mass murderers, and spree killers that have emerged in the past 130 years, their assessment of Schaefer is stunning. Schaefer's methodology and the prolonged physical and psychological torture he employed before murdering and dismembering his victims is what sets him apart from all other serial killers. Though Schaefer was convicted of only two murders, Georgia Jessup, 16, and Susan Place, 17, he is the only suspect in an additional 73 murders and missing person cases. The truth is we will never know the extent of his savagery because Gerard Schaefer was murdered in his jail cell at Florida State Penitentiary in 1995. At 12 years old, Gerard Schaefer began recording the details of his life in a journal. He continued writing these journals for the next 14 years until he was arrested in July of 1972. In this letter written to Robert Webb, he discusses the thrill he derived from terrorizing his victims as well as the excitement he received while recruiting his pen pals as apprentices. Dear Robert, you mention that you would like to perhaps be my apprentice. Well, I'm already helping a few dudes who love the serial killer lifestyle and all my people are doing well. If you are going to take this business seriously, I will help you out, but there are guys around who just like to hear about the way sex sluts behave when it's time for them to die at the hang tree. Rob Webb is a known expert on true crime with an emphasis on serial killers. Rob began corresponding with serial killers in 1990 after first communicating with John Wayne Gacy. Since then, he has amassed thousands of letters and artwork from well over 300 serial killers from all over the world. Rob has appeared on numerous documentaries, and in periodicals discussing his work, his collection, and his long and trusting friendships with some of the most heinous serial killers of the 20th century. Rob Webb is also a contributor to Killer's Vault, and we're thrilled to have him. So you corresponded with Schaefer, and Schaefer, from what I understand, liked to groom people into being serial killers, or at least he liked to write about it. Killer Fiction was a fanzine that Schaefer put together, and he had a... Uh, person that he had a relationship back with in high school uh, helped uh, put it together and sell it on the open market and uh, now they're very expensive and hard to get the original fanzines uh, they're actually published in a book as well but they're excerpts of short stories that when they arrested Schaefer they found in his mother's house in a footlocker uh, that he had been writing and he tried to call it uh, well it's just killer fiction it's creative art it's creative writing it's not true but when you read it, it's, there's no way that you can't think that he didn't commit those crimes. He would always put in his letters, now, you know, the jail's not reading our letters, so we can talk about whatever you want. Well, that's, anybody that believes that is really stupid in the first place because they read all the correspondence. And the last thing you're going to do is admit to crimes that you're committing if they're actually, you're actually committing crimes, you'd actually do it during visitation and you would speak to them. But if you told anything to Schaefer, he would be the type of guy that would turn and use it against you or use it to the, with the authorities to bargain for something for him. 
but he did like to, to allude to the fact that he could groom you into the proper way to do these heinous acts and to uh, how to do them. He would actually try to tell me what kind of rope I needed, how, you know, the length of rope, how to worry about the type of weight. His biggest concern is, is really was his fascination with the uh, waist uh, when someone's being hung and how could I deal with that? Would it excite me? Uh, there was a lot of things. His letters are really, I mean, I, I almost had, they were the hardest ones I ever got for me to read uh, was the Schaefer letters, but I had to take them with a grain of salt because it was almost like, you know, it, it was, is it fantasy? Is it real? But then after me for reading some of the like killer fiction, I, I firmly believe that the stuff that was written in killer fiction, he, you can't write that stuff without experiencing it. And I, and I'm a firm believer that he committed way more murders than he was convicted. I mentioned early on that I do serial killer management here in Florida and in other places. I do have an apprentice operating in the St. Pete area. The fool is into strangling hookers and leaving them laying out in the open. It's a bad practice. At first, he was quite good at his craft. He strangled the girls and buried them deep. Once he reached 40 kills, he got careless. He's got about 50 now, but he's out of control. My boy in St. Pete doesn't like him to load up in their panties. <laughs> Yet he strangles them in areas far removed from burial sites. I recommended he insert the corpses in garbage bags. That reduces the stench a great deal. He tried garbage bags, but still throws the girls out onto the trash heap or curb. Stupid. I hoped you'd be a big success as a serial killer. You seem to enjoy the drama of a good whore hanging. Are you ready to get serious? What's holding you back? Do you have a good rope already? A hang tree selected? A burial site ready? You should get a four-wheel drive vehicle for the best results. Are you ready? Look, Robert, I have some serial killers under my personal supervision, and not one of them has ever been caught. I can take you on if you're serious about hanging the cunt. Stephen Giangelo is the author of two books on serial killers, including Real Life Monsters, a psychological examination of the serial murderer. He's a former Illinois state criminal investigator and was assigned to the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. Currently, Steve is an adjunct professor in the Criminology and Criminal Justice Department at the University of Illinois Springfield, where he's taught for the last 22 years. Thank you for joining us, Steve. We're thrilled to get your perspective on Killer's Vault. Schaefer was, it's commonly known that he was trying to groom other serial killers. Do you think he really had other apprentices out there killing people? Or is this just his wishful thinking? And like you said, his need to control and he was the ultimate controller. That's a tough one. I'm going to say no. Uh, I, that sounds like an extremely risky behavior. And serial murder, unless you're working in a team, is a solitary uh, activity. The idea that he was training apprentices, that almost sounds like something he just made up. I don't know that, that that's true or not, but uh, that, that's my first impression on it. Schaefer was brutal, mentally and physically torturing his victims and showed no remorse for any of his murders. He claimed to have killed 140, although he was only charged with two murders. Whether or not that's true, how could someone so evil like Schaefer exist? What was wrong with him? What's your ultimate diagnosis of Schaefer? Schaefer is just an extreme a psychopath. I hate to be over, overly simplistic, but we have a lot of serial killers that have exhibited a lot of extreme 
unbelievable behavior that we have a hard time even fathoming. Schaefer's just another one. I think a lot of psychopaths are the ultimate narcissist, really. And I mean, and they really, they don't believe a lot of people want to be like them, but there are enough people out there to make them important. That, that, that would make sense to me. From prison, he began writing letters to a small group of friends. The letters contained stunning admissions and specific details about the gruesome murders he committed, many of which he hadn't been arrested for. It's within the pages of these journals and letters that reveal the true extent of Gerard Schaefer's insanity and the absolute brutality of his murders. Dear Richard, let's clarify here for a moment who I am, dude. I am the hangman, one of the world's top serial killers with 35 verified kills of call girls, common prostitutes, hitchhiker fuck sluts, and other varieties of dirty bitches. If you don't believe that, turn to any encyclopedia of master killers and you will find my name at the top of that list. My personal techniques for murdering sluts incorporate both torture and bondage. Beautiful women have begged me to hang them, to end their pain. I enjoy hanging hookers. I come in my VVDs while I watch them, jerking and jumping and twitching, with the titties bouncing, legs pumping, eyeballs bulging, tongues lolling, and panties filling with warm, steamy horse shit. I make them die slow. Has someone been casting doubts to my claim to the top hangman killer of all time? If so, who? Why do you think a media darling serial killer like Ted Bundy trusted me with his secrets? Gerard Schaefer, born in Wisconsin in 1946, was the oldest of three children. His two younger siblings, a boy and a girl, were one and two years his junior. From a very early age, Schaefer had a contemptuous relationship with his traveling salesman alcoholic father. Shaver's mother berated her husband as a serial womanizer, which was a continuous source of physical disputes between the couple. Shaver also had a dysfunctional relationship with his sister Sarah, whom he claimed stole his parents from the second she was born. Throughout his childhood, Shaver was so needy and protective of his mother that when his father was away on business trips, which was often, he wouldn't sleep unless they were in bed together. Though the behavior between his wife and son seemed peculiar, Schaefer's father did little to discourage it. The bizarre behavior continued unchecked well into his teenage years, which gradually became a point of contention between his parents. Schaefer enjoyed the tactical position he was in, and he was learning how to manipulate his parents' emotions. He understood the curious relationship he shared with his mother was an emotional wedge between his parents, something the boy clung on to and learned to wield like a knife. This peculiar mother-son relationship began just after his siblings were born. Schaefer would crawl silently and unafraid through the dark, empty house. He'd get into bed with her and wiggle under the covers, working his way into that velvety black space between bosom and stomach. 
Dr. Catherine Ramsland is a world-renowned expert on serial killers, a professor of forensic psychology and criminal justice. She has five graduate degrees, three of which are forensic psychology, clinical psychology, and criminal justice. She's the author of How to Catch a Killer, Confession of a Serial Killer, and 66 other books, in addition to hundreds of articles and short stories. It's wonderful to have you on the show, Dr. Ramsland. Schaefer wasn't close to his father. He was a violent drunk and a womanizer, and they had a terrible relationship. So it, I find it interesting that he was so traumatized when he found out that his mother had had an affair and that he was the product of that affair. Do you think that that had an impact on him as a serial killer, that something in him got broken through that knowledge? Well, Schaefer grew up feeling as if he, he, his father really didn't care about him and that he did prefer his sister. So he always felt kind of displaced and almost like an afterthought for his father, which annoyed him, humiliated him, and he grew up resentful of his sister. Then he learned, through his parents arguing, that he, in fact, was not his father's biological child. At that point, he realizes the reason he's suffered so much is that his mother did something wrong. She's the one who is to blame for his father not loving him, preferring his sister. And what his mother did makes her into, in his eyes, a slut, a whore. And she represents women to him. He will now be looking at women as the source of betrayal, humiliation, and basically his sense of a life that he really w did not like. And if he, if he puts females into the category of those are the ones to blame, those are the people who will always betray me and make my life miserable, those are the ones I want to dominate and control before they do anything bad to me, that does set him up for certainly for aggression against women, whether it's about serial murder or not is a different question, but his perception of women really starts digging in at that age. He's around 11. He's, he starts thinking about it, ruminating on it, building fantasies of domination against them. And certainly, in that case, he has a major factor on the way to becoming a serial killer. For the next 25 years, Gerard Shaver would revisit that special place in his mind, some estimate as many as 140 times all in a maniacal yet satisfying effort to commit a continuous matricide that would extinguish his mother's heartbeat forever. In this excerpt, Gerard Schaefer reflects the number of kills he committed with an almost tongue-in-cheek giddiness. In 1973, I sat down and drew up a list of my kills. As I recall, my list was just over 80. Now, I'm not claiming a huge number. I would say it runs between 80 and 110, but that's over eight years and three continents. One who drowned her own vomit while watching me disembowel her girlfriend. <laughs> I'm not sure that counts as a valid kill. Do the pregnant ones count as two kills? It can get confusing. When Schaefer's father was drunk, which was frequent, the physical abuse intensified to the brutal and inhumane. Early on, Schaefer keyed into his father's violent behavior, and he acted out. During one of his father's tirades, 
Schaefer got on all fours and quietly entered their bedroom, making his way to the corner of the room where his father slapped and punched her. When he was directly behind his crazed father, he stood straight up in his hand, his father's prized golf club. Gripping the expensive driver in both hands, he slowly raised it high above his head, but he didn't strike. Schaefer seemed to be savoring the moment, apparently receiving a great amount of pleasure knowing that he quite possibly could kill his father. The omnipotent feeling of power and control was forever seared into the boy's psyche. His father sensed the boy behind him, but before he could spin, Schaefer sliced down with everything he had. Luckily for both of them, it was a glancing blow, though hard enough to split the side of the father's head open without actually killing him. Schaefer's father received 30 stitches, which ended the fight that day. However, the war within the Schaefer household was far from over. When he was 10 years old, Schaefer's world came crashing in. During one of his parents' arguments, he overheard his father cursing his wife for ruining his life. He ranted on about an affair he was certain she had had just before they were married an affair that produced Gerard, her son. Schaefer's father continued the verbal abuse, claiming that his mother was too much of a coward to come clean about the affair, leading him to believe the baby was his. And because of his own naivety and stupidity, did he do the honorable thing, which was to marry her. The ruination of his life. Only after his two other children were born did he find out about the affair, which is when the marriage became what he called a loveless and abusive sham. He was going to get even for the taunting and the continuous needling his sister, his drunk abusive wound-nazing father, and especially his mother, whom he now referred to as a slut and a whore. Why does the whore allow him and his cunting slut prodigy to get away with it? Am I no longer her son, born of her filthy loins? Why, Jerry? Because she's a filthy slut of a doormat, and you very well know that she harbors as much contempt and hatred for you as they do, and it's all behind her own guilt and blowjob behavior. If you're the target, Jerry, she isn't. So what are you going to do about it? She used to blame Jerry because if she had the brains and the courage, like any other slut whore in her predicament, she would have had an abortion. So I ask you again, Jerry, what are you going to do about it? Dr. Catherine Ramsland. It's my understanding that Schaefer's father was a violent drunk, a really horrible person. So I'm curious what your thoughts are about the fact that it was so traumatizing to him to find out that his biological father was not uh, his actual father, that his mother had had an affair. And what are your thoughts on how that shaped him? And did it have an influence on him as a serial killer? Well, Schaefer, for some reason still wanted to please his father. He resented the fact that his father seemed to favor his sister. He wanted that place in his father's heart, but he didn't get it. And when he found out 
that in fact he was not his father's biological son. He blamed his mother. He blamed his mother for the awful life he was having, not feeling wanted, not having a good relationship with his father. The reason was because his mother had had an affair. So now he came to see her as a whore, a slut, and she represented to him women everywhere. He began to discount them all as treacherous and full of betrayal, and that had a lot to do with his sense of who he was and the fact that he'd been cast adrift by his father. It wasn't his father's fault, it was his mother's fault. As Schaefer got older, the isolation, hatred, and paranoia he felt metastasized, and it was all he could think about. Schaefer's need for revenge would escalate, however, getting there to the act of murder, that was a slow progression. Moving from one milestone onto the next, which would only occur after completing ever-difficult challenges that he would set for himself. Not yet a teenager, Schaefer began writing a journal, which he continued to do for the next 14 years stopping only after he was arrested for double homicide. These journals were like a portal, transporting whoever read them directly into the diseased mind of Gerard John Schaefer. Scratched maniacally into the first page of this journal are bold block letters that read, Guilt breeds frustration. Frustration breeds anger, and anger manifests in violence. Writing his fantasies in these journals helped Schaefer create the foundation that would become the matrix and the structure of his diseased mind. Schaefer wrote stories about torture and death, horrific and gruesome murder, all of which preceded the act. Writing about them in such lurid detail was a way of understanding the clarity and intensity of the insatiable murderous impulses he felt. By writing, Schaefer was gaining confidence while also creating blueprints of the actual murders he was going to commit. Once he felt comfortable with every last detail of his stories, that is when he was compelled to act them out in real life. Ironically, it was the content within Schaefer's journals that solidified his arrest and conviction for the gruesome double homicide of 17-year-old Susan Place and her friend 16-year-old Georgia Jessup in 1973. There were pages and pages filled with short stories and fantasies about torture, rape, sodomy, strangulation, and murder. He wrote in great detail about his fixation of having sex with two decapitated women and his desire to kidnap two young girls so he could eviscerate the sluts while they were alive. He wrote about the psychological torture he would employ once the young girls were in his possession. He'd tell his victims that he would let one of them live, but in order to do so, they had to convince him why the other girl should die. The two young women he was arrested and convicted of killing, Susan Place and Georgia Jessup, were raped, beaten, tortured, and strangled. They were then decapitated. Their heads were removed and only one of the skulls was recovered. Their torn apart bodies were then dumped and buried in a shallow grave. In Schaefer's journal, underneath a title that read, Fun, Fun, Fun Under the Sun, 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 Schaefer described these murders to the letter. In the story, Schaefer bragged about taking trophies from both of the girls, some of which he gave to his wife as a present, and after a search warrant was conducted at his mother's home, both items were recovered. Steve, 
Let's talk about Schaefer's journal that he had for 14 years. Uh, are you familiar with it? Have you read excerpts of it? Yes. He says, guilt breeds frustration. Frustration breeds anger and anger manifests in violence. He wrote a lot about his twisted sexual fantasies. Um, let's talk about the role the journal played in him becoming a serial killer. The journal gave him a chance to clarify his grievances with the world and continue to revisit them. He also, it also gave him an opportunity to harm himself uh, psychologically, just like he wanted to hurt himself uh, physically uh, and sexually. This uh, uh, continuously reworking uh, this this uh, feeling of inadequacy and and being worthless gave him a chance to to, uh, to hurt himself psychologically. Dressed in his sister's cutest silk panties, thigh-high skin-tight stockings, and her prettiest cornflower blue dress gave Schaefer an unexpected sexual charge, considering what his ulterior motive had been. The feeling of silk panties supporting his sublime cock and balls, the way the tight stockings pulled at and irritated his inner thigh hairs, and seeing how the plunging neckline of the dress revealed his clavicle just so, turned him on in a big way. He felt sexy, standing in front of the mirror, masturbating, and the simple act of watching his fist gyrate underneath the bluish sheen of the dress was all it took to bring Schaefer to an incredible climax. The bonus, of course, which was also his original motive, was a special joy he received after coming inside the length of his sister's stolen dress. This was precipitated by the sheer delight of spying on her as she put that dress on and then watching as she proudly displayed it to all of her slutty friends. Seeing and hearing her little whore and training her friends ooh and ah over it with the knowledge that his dry cum was chafing her blossoming tits just priceless. It made the possibility of getting caught all the more exciting. Schaefer needed to up the fun because tranny jerking into his mother and sister's clothing just wasn't doing it for him anymore. He needed a new challenge. He began tying himself naked to a tree. Once he was bound tightly and unable to escape easily, he began whipping his back and buttocks until he could feel the blood trickling down his legs and back. The omnipotence he felt behind self-flagellation aroused him enormously, which quickly became an added ritual during his transvestite masturbation sessions. He began peeping through his neighbor's windows, feeling his sister's silken panties underneath his khaki slacks while he creeped and watched gave him an instant erection, and on so many of those adventures, it would take him but a few strokes to orgasm. He'd then move on to another neighbor's house, and he would come again, and again, and again. He began to understand that his sexual appetite was not only voracious, but also colorful. He began to fantasize about the women he was spying on, visualizing his big hands wrapped around their necks, slowly strangling them while he sodomized and raped them. Schaefer became obsessed with strangulation. 
He made numerous trips to the library where he began researching women's executions from all over the world. He became fixated with public and institutional hangings. He learned everything he could about them. What type of rope was used, how the hangman prepared the eye or the knot that would become the noose, and how the eye was affixed to the neck. He learned about the trap door that would open unexpectedly, sending the woman to an agonizingly slow death, as well as the rubber underwear or scaffold diapers they were forced to wear. But Schaefer really got a sexual charge out of learning what happened to the human body during and after a hanging execution. If the woman's neck weren't broken upon impact, which occurred most of the time, she would slowly suffocate to death. The suffocation could take as long as 10 or 20 minutes, which thrilled Schaefer because of the prolonged agony. But it was the time in between life and death he became obsessed with. The wild spasms, as if the body were in the throes of an epileptic seizure, the sphincter, the bladder relaxing, the excreting urine and feces, those foul odors mixed with the quick decaying skin and organs, and the final death rattle. All of it aroused Schaefer, and he knew this would become his method of dispensing ultimate justice. Schaefer began buying hardcore bondage and pornographic magazines, simulating choking and strangulation sex. He began spending more and more time fantasizing about hanging these women as he masturbated. After coming, he would then draw hangman's nooses around the woman's necks that he found the most attractive, as well as the most repulsive. Schaefer's ever-evolving mind was becoming more and more depraved. He was getting older, bigger, smarter, and he needed something darker. Dear Richie, I was always able to find a horse to hang in the clubs of Miami Beach. I always found it more interesting to experiment with slow torture when the whore was particularly sassy. Torture has a humbling effect. You can see how this one here has her mouth open. She looks like she's screaming, but what she's doing here is trying to suck in some oxygen after a little suspension time on my rope. You can't see the noose due to her long hair. This one was jerking and dancing so fervently that her panty got rucked up into her cunt. I tell you, watching a woman do a rope dance is a sight to see. But even better is the sight of their faces when they realize they're soon to be dead meat in a hole in the ground. <laughs> What's awfully fun is to let one of them watch while you dig her grave. Up there in Brevard, there's some nice high ground, and I could drive my car out to where this fine old swamp oak was located. I could drive right up underneath it. I'd get the chick out of the trunk of the car. They'd be scared to death because the ride from Miami to Brevard is a long one, especially when you're bound and gagged inside of a dark trunk. They are so scared they'll do anything you want. The control is total when you take the time to restrain them properly. And once you have total control, you can do whatever you want. I hung Strange Pussy for 10 years and I never ceased to enjoy it. I got started 
by digging up a few young women from local cemeteries. Just read the paper obits and then follow the funeral. Dig her up the same night they bury her. The ground is soft, no problem at all. Getting familiar with the corpse helps with your first kill. Be careful because you can get spoiled with corpse pussy. My first corpse was a redhead named Judy Hancock. You'll never forget your first one either. The girls are really clean when you dig them up, and that is nice. Schaefer had been pouring through the obituaries all week. Only old sluts and retired whores, nothing young, fresh. Then he found one he liked, redheaded and 15. Dear Richard, the personality of a whore is generally surly and smartass. The general rule is this, the hotter the bitch, the more she acts like a nasty cunt. I was faithful to the hangman's handbook and tried all the varieties explained in it. The most trouble came from the whores who were hanged Islamic style, which requires that the quiff be trimmed and a priest's special enema be administered. You should see how the whore wiggles and squirms when she sees the enema bag. When they realize they're about to be killed, all the blood ceases and they turn on the tears. They become snot-nosed little girls and almost always pee all over themselves and the floor. Believe me, there is very little a whore can do when she's in restraining straps with a noose encircling her neck. She is totally in your control. Steve, what did Schaefer get out of writing letters like this? And what's the reaction he's looking for from the reader? His status as the, one of the most uh, top-of-the-line serial killers is very important to him. And after he de decided to move into serial murder, he took his job seriously. There were times when he looked at killing whores was his job as a good Catholic boy. He used the, that expression at one point in time. And uh, it, it, he, it, he would be one of those serial killers where he could not have the conversation with another individual where, that, where he didn't have the opportunity to impart on that person how extreme a serial killer he was and how successful he was. He'd done his homework, made copious notes that's when the last of the grieving would pay their respects to loved ones, car and pedestrian traffic patterns, as well as police presence anywhere near the cemetery. He even knew to the second the response time from the local sheriff's office. He was ready. Schaefer found the perfect spot to bring his date that evening, just a 20 minute drive from the cemetery. He packed only three things, a heavy blanket, a flashlight, and a shovel. No pick needed because he knew the dirt from the freshly dug grave would be soft, just like the whores he was about to rob and violate. His father was away on a business trip, so all he had to do now was wait for the whore to fall asleep, swipe his father's car keys, and he would be on his way to cross off another exciting adventure. And one more milestone towards his quest of achieving his ultimate goal, vengeance. Schaefer had to stay true to his plan, follow the map exactly how he laid it out to the cemetery, then to his special spot, the awe-inspiring plot of land he scoped out long before. He was to take only back roads with minimal lighting and very few homes along the route. Schaefer was careful and smart. 
Sure, it would take a little longer, but avoiding the potential car stop by some bored, suspicious cop was worth the extra 30 minutes. Underage driver getting arrested for driving without a license would certainly ruin the evening. But explaining to his mother, not to mention the authorities, why he was out driving at 1 a.m. with a blanket, shovel, flashlight, and a recently buried corpse in the trunk, now that would prove to be difficult. Schaefer was surprised when the shovel thudded and bounced back at him violently. The hole was barely three feet deep, and he had barely broken a sweat. Can they make it any easier? He wondered and giggled. (laughs) He checked his surroundings once again. Nothing. Just tombstones and owls. As he scraped the dirt off the lid of the Jeep from like a coffin, he could barely keep his hands from grabbing at his erection, which had been hard for so long it was now beginning to ache. He reached in quickly and ripped the lid off the coffin. To his absolute delight was the petite 15-year-old girl he had read about two days earlier. She was everything he had hoped for. She was pretty, dressed in a white summer dress, with red hair and full breasts. He lifted the corpse, tossing it over his back in a fireman's carry. He was surprised at how light it was, which would make the walk from the car to his spot a hell of a lot easier than anticipated. He kicked the lid closed, laid his precious cargo down on the thick blanket, and then began shoveling dirt back into the gravesite. He began to relax, and he thought about the upcoming evening. He was proud of what he'd accomplished so far. Stalking the obits, finding the perfect date for the evening, the meticulously planned out directions, and especially the spot where he knew he would bring so many more. He was no longer nervous. He was now in total control and of service to no one but himself. It was that control that was the pop the blast, the aphrodisiac for him, pleasuring him to new heights as it rocketed through his veins. And though it was his first time on this new adventure, Schaefer instinctively knew that he was going to have to heighten even these incredible new highs. He began thinking of the next new adventure because he was addicted and there was no turning back. Steve, what is this necrophiliac addiction that Schaefer has Uh, And how does it influence him as a serial killer? Necrophilia for the serial killer is the ultimate expression of control and power and dominance. His behavior isn't all that unlike Dahmer as far as having uh, sex with uh, freshly killed victims. It's the kind of thing that where he gets to be completely in control. He gets everything he wants. He doesn't have have to ask for anything. He doesn't have to commit any crimes. He gets to do everything he wants to do as long as he wants to do it. Not surprising to me at all that necrophilia would be really attractive to him. Schaefer switched off the ignition just feet from his encampment where he keyed open the trunk. When Schaefer saw the stuffed blanket below him, he had to catch his breath to keep up with his pistoning heart. He lifted the corpse out of the trunk, gently closed it, and moved to the embankment. He kneeled down, tilted her head towards him, and he slowly reached in to kiss her. There was a cold, metallic, and chemical taste. 
which he didn't mind at all. As he dug his tongue in the corpse's mouth, he began squeezing her breasts and nipples. They were thick and spongy, and he wondered if every girl's tits felt the same. He had been peeping on his neighbor, Lee Bonades, for months. When Schaefer thought about his neighbor, he felt anger welling up because he knew she was teasing him, naked, prancing around her room, just for him. Fucking slut. Fucking whore. Take a good look, Jerry, because you're never going to get any of this. Never. He knew that's what she was saying to him every time he watched. Every time she made him masturbate to her. And that is when Schaefer got violent. He tore off the pretty white dress, the brassiere, the panties, throwing them behind indiscriminately until he had the corpse naked. Schaefer stood up began tearing off his own clothing. When he was naked, he pounced on top of the corpse. At first, he wanted her ass to rape her anally, to humiliate her like he'd been humiliated his entire life. He flipped the corpse over roughly, placing it on all fours. Just as he was about to enter, he noticed a long string hanging from its anus. He grabbed hold of the string and yanked. It came out easily. He'd seen this before. Two places, in fact. When he was stealing his whore mother's panties, he noticed a bunch of them scattered inside the drawer. Later, when he was masturbating into his mother's bathrobe, he noticed a similar one in the trash, with blood on it. He remembered his anger flaring upon seeing the blood, which then elicited him to gouge holes into the crotches of her panties. When his mother found half her panties destroyed, the whore made him sit in a corner for three hours with the balled-up panties shoved in his mouth. Schaefer had never forgotten her gamey taste, which had remained a dual pleasure for him, revolting yet intoxicating. For the next two hours, Schaefer defiled the corpse every way he could think of, he had orgasms each time he entered it. He wanted to continue fucking it, but it was getting late. He needed to clean the scene with the same precision he had planned the evening. Leaving any type of evidence behind could get him caught, which was the last thing he wanted. Rob Schaefer was a necrophiliac. No question. He talks about having sex with corpses explicitly. Yes, and in killer fiction, the details about it, the levels of decomposition, the description of everything, uh, you, unless you're seeing that in real life, I don't know how you could write it in such detail. You'd have to see it. When, with, with Schaefer, the way to get started, and the one thing he wanted me to realize that you would have to, uh, and this was a key point with him, was you'd have to learn how to deal with smells. You'd have to learn to deal with uh, certain textures and things that you would normally uh, be... Uh, turned away from that you would have to either learn to appreciate or get turned on by and so one of the first things was to to like he said dig up uh, a freshly uh, buried corpse you watch the obituaries for a young girl dig her up have sex with her and see if you can get past that if you get past that you're ready to move on to the next step and that was what he considered a, a great starting point was to be a necrophiliac using the flashlight 
to check for any peering red eyes, Schaefer edged his way to the mouth of the swamp and threw the clothing and tampons as far into the black muck as he could. The rock he had balled it all up in sent the entire package straight to the bottom. Schaefer jumped back when he heard a massive second and third splash in the water. Oh yeah, they're hungry tonight, he thought. Don't worry, dinner's on its way. He couldn't wait to see the gators tear the carcass apart. He approached and hurled the corpse into the briny muck. Suddenly, two giant gator tails whooshed out of the marsh like ballistic missiles. The gator then snapped his giant head once like a bullwhip, easily tearing the carcass in two. As the gators quietly disappeared beneath the surface, Schaefer realized just how efficient and helpful they would be to him in the future. Dear Richie, my own preferences were in the preliminaries and the increasing terror generated by the woman's awareness that she was in the hands of a homicidal maniac. I was entranced by the various plays that the captive woman would use in order to save their souls. Most of them would try something and I made it a game to see how long it would be before the victim would request to be killed. This entertainment varied from one victim to another, and it might take the form of a physical or psychological torture if and when the lady decided to say she'd had enough. And I was quite willing to put her out of her misery, if she asked nicely. This sort of experiment is perfect for a person of sadistic tendencies, since we sadists do not consider our victims to be genuinely human. Ted Bundy never thought of the women he killed as persons, but only as objects. I did the same and found it an excellent way to avoid any human feeling for them. I guess you would consider that a sociopathic quality, but what the hell? We all have our faults, and I'm no different than anyone else in that respect. So Schaefer, his targets oftentimes were prostitutes. I'm curious what you feel in regards to equating maybe the hatred of the mother being a slut. Do you think that there was a correlation with why he chose to target prostitutes so often? It may be that Schaefer equated prostitutes with his mother. He was already thinking about females in general as sluts and whores is the way he called it. Um, but it also may be that the, the prostitutes were the easiest prey to lure into vulnerable situations. So and, and he doesn't really make it clear that he's on some kind of mission against sex workers, but certainly he would see, he saw females everywhere. He objectified them. He saw them all as sluts and whores that needed to be dominated and punished largely because of how he viewed his mother and so certainly there could be a parallel between how he viewed her and the type of prey that he went to most often. It, it's, it's come to my understanding that Schaefer really was jealous of his sister, really hated her. But then because of that, there was this really imbalance with his relationship with his mom. It's almost like she set him up for failure by uh, coddling him so much and having this intimate relationship with him and sleeping with him often until he was, you know, 10 and so like that. Do you think that that has a big impact as to why he was so devastated by her and her actions? He had her sort of on a pedestal. 
Well, we certainly do find in the backgrounds of sexually sadistic killers, which he would be qualified for, uh, often there, there has been an odd relationship with the mother where, and especially if the mother is doing inappropriate things like having a growing son who's entering puberty in her bed with her or walking around scantily clad or, or saying things that are sexually suggestive, that, that sons tend to have this odd relationship where they think of their mother as this pure being but then they also have these sexual feelings. And then to, to top that off with, with the discovery that his mother has actually betrayed his father, I think would, would all collect together into this resentment that he's already built up against his sister, who's being favored, in, into this incredible anger that is becoming part of his fantasy life. And he will target women girls, women, you know, anything female, because he feels as if that is the source of not only betrayal, but the miserable sense of himself he's already had throughout his life. Schaefer became a master grave robber and corpse rapist, but his impulses were getting darker. He wanted to know what it felt like to end a life, which would be his next evolution. He began stalking the woods behind his house for squirrels and birds, animals he had no intention of eating. After shooting an animal dead with his father's 22 caliber rifle, he would collect his prey, bring it to his whipping tree, and proceed to cut it open. He then moved on to domestic pets. Schaefer took his time learning about the anatomy of every animal he killed. He would dissect these animals meticulously laying out the pieces one by one until the scene looked like a dissembled car engine within an owner's manual. Seeing the animal spread apart with all of its blood, entrails, and shiny viscera gave Schaefer another sexual charge. Once he had the animal completely separated, he would stand above it and masturbate, at times using its interior organs and tissues as an aid for lubrication. However, standing 30 feet from an animal and killing it, where was the fun in that? He'd hunted before, albeit for entirely different reasons, but it was always at a distance. Schaefer wanted more. He wanted to hear the animal's last breath after he stuck a knife in its heart or deep in its brain. He knew the only way he was gonna hear that was to be up close and personal. He'd been watching the large ranch for hours. Preparation was so important when attempting a new challenge. He looked into the black canvas bag one last time to make sure he had everything he needed for the festivities. Flashlight, bolt cutters, pruning shears, five pound hammer, two large towels, a wire hanger, and of course, the hacksaw with three extra blades just in case. He took off running in a low crouch. The lights were off in the main house and he was ready. Schaefer had scoped out the entire area long before making a series of dry runs. He thoroughly enjoyed masturbating while he peeked in on them as they ate dinner and watched TV. The last time he was there, he climbed onto the second floor of their house and watched them for three hours. 
as they shit, showered, fucked, and finally slept. They had no idea that he was just outside coming on their windows and freshly painted clapboard siding. When he entered the barn, he was immediately assaulted by the grimy smell of the pig pen. There were easily a hundred of them, swine wallowing in their own filth, caked in mud, though full of kinetic energy. Good, he thought. I'll pick a lively one. When he clicked on the flashlight, a group of them stirred and snorted loudly. No, Daddy's not here to feed you, little piggies, he laughed. Schaefer moved in cautiously. He didn't want to raise them up any more than they already were. Inside the barn was a separate pen full of lamb. He read about men who had sex with lambs who were delightfully surprised at how close to the real live cunt they felt. The hammer whooshed through the air, hitting the lamb squarely in the head. He quickly unbuckled his belt, pulled his pants and underwear down to his ankles. He then got on his knees and carefully pushed the animal's legs into its white, flaccid underbelly. There it is. How fucking pretty. He couldn't wait any longer, ramming his erection deep into the void of the dead animal. Schaefer thrust his hips violently back and forth, back and forth, pounding into the carcass, trying to tear a hole through it. He began moaning primal and loud when suddenly his eyes flashed wide open and he was overtaken by the volcanic eruption he had so deftly brought on to himself. He quickly jumped up and under both feet. Now standing rigidly, he watched the headless animal slide inexorably off his erection. When it hit the floor, Schaefer began to ejaculate on the decapitated animal below. Schaefer didn't think of this behavior as bizarre or twisted. He did, however, understand that his tastes varied and were very different from most others. Dear Robert, Serial killing is like going to Disney World and not being able to take anyone with you. I think serial killers had these tremendously exciting experiences, but no one to share them with. So, we spend a lot of time cultivating people that we hope we'll be able to talk to. We'll start out small and build up with our stories, hoping to get them to a point where they'll listen and I can tell them what I've been up to, hopefully after time they'll be able to accept it. To be continued. For additional content and to discuss these podcasts, please go to killersvault.com. The Killers Vault podcast is based on the Serial Killer Collection owned by Dr. David Adamovich and Lynn Wheat and collected by Richie and Barbara Dickstein. The Killers Vault podcast is also based on the Serial Killer Collection owned and collected by Rob Webb.